Last week we had the uh, awesome privilege uh, of hearing from uh, one of our, our own that grew up here, a young man that grew up here and uh, sat right where you all are sitting, uh, listened to sermons and was involved in worship and got involved in ministry and, and uh, just allowed God to continue to speak to his heart to the point where he is serving now uh, in Ohio. And uh, we're, we praise God for that. He even talked about and thanked you guys as a congregation for loving God, for loving people and doing something about it. And, uh, and he even said the reason that I'm in ministry today is because people in this church did ministry in their hometown. And, uh, and so again, I, I'm just, it was awesome to hear how God is moving in his life and how God has worked and moved through you all. And, uh, and just reality again that you and I are on mission but that mission is far from over. We have more work to do. There is more people to be reached. There is more that God wants to do. There is more lives that God wants to transform. And you and I get to play a part in that. Think about that. Think about how awesome that is that you and I get to play a part in God's mission of reaching this world with the good news of Jesus. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you. And you may say, well, I've done this and I've done that. Listen, in God's economy, in God's time, there's nothing wasted. God will use what has happened in your life to transform the lives of other people around you. God will use that testimony. God will use what he is going on in your life. He's not going to waste that. He's going to use it, and you get to play a part in seeing others' lives transform for the good and for the glory of God. And that's an amazing thing to think about because as God works in us, as God reveals himself to us, he works through us, and we get to play a part. The question is, is are we? Are we doing our part? Are we willing to be a part of what God is doing? And as we've been talking about this mission, Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, all of these verses point to the great mission that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, and that that mission is yet to be complete. There's still more that we have to do, and as we're a part of this mission, God is going to use us if we're willing to let him. If we're willing to let him work in and through our lives, God desires to use each and every one of us. This is not just a pastor's thing or a missionary's thing or a church staff thing. This is every single one of us is a part of the body of Christ. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we are a part of the body of Christ. And that body of Christ is not just here at Harvest Time. It's worldwide. And every single one of us gets to play a part in that. Now, we've put all of this together in a short sentence. See everyone, love God, love people, and do something about it. And we've put some motions with it, and we're going to ask you to do those with us so that, so that you get this ingrained in your mind and in your heart. And so, uh, so here's the see everyone. See everyone. Good. Come on, y'all. Get, get those hands up. Don't be a party pooper. Every party's got a pooper. Uh, Don't be that. Um, Put your hands up. See everyone. Good. Love God. Hands up in the air. Wave them around like you just don't care. Good. Love people. Put your arms around somebody next to you or just give yourself a big hug. Whatever. Squeeze. Feel that love. And then lock arms with the person next to you as a demonstration of doing something about it. And we're doing that together. All right? Everybody stand up. Stand up. Man, I always hear this, oh, 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 I just sat down. You don't know how much it takes for me to stand up. Okay. Are you ready? See everyone. 
Love God. Love people. Hug, squeeze, feel the love. It's just oozing out of the room. All right, interlock arms and do something about it. All right, one more time. See everyone. Love God. Love people. Do something about it. All right, good. Sit down. Reagan, we really have got to video this because it's so ridiculous from this vantage point. Just, it's lovely. I love it. Um, you know, it is, it's awesome to watch you guys do it. Thank you. Some of you, it was the first time you've raised hands in church. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> um, so that was cool. Hey, this is the mission God has given us through these verses, through his word, and you and I get to play a part. And the beauty is, is that as we play a part, he transforms our heart. He transforms my heart. He transforms your heart. He transforms the hearts of those around us. And, and it's all about the heart. God's desire is to get a hold of our hearts. God's desire is to transform our heart. God's desire is to, to make a difference in our heart because if he does that, he grabs hold of that, he makes a difference in our life and through our life. And that's why there's verses like Proverbs 4.23 where Solomon is writing. He says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do comes out of it. Everything, the words you say, the thoughts that you have, the actions that you display, the reactions that you have, the way that you think about other people, the way that you interact with other people, every single thing comes from and through your heart. And God wants to get a hold of that. God wants to transform that. And, and for many of you, you're letting him do that. And he's showing to you things that maybe you had never thought about before, or maybe he's reminding you of things that you need to, to get back to. I, I don't know, but what I do know is, is that God wants to use you, and God will use you if you'll let him. And so we strive to be on mission, seeing everyone love God, love people, and do something about it. We've talked about see everyone, we've talked about love God. Today we're going to talk about love people. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to kind of re-quote it in a sense and just talk a little bit about it. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the love God part. And then he said the second is like it. In other words, he's saying it's like two wings of the same plane. You have to have, there's one with the other. One affects the other. And, and, and without one, the, the plane cannot fly. And so God says, love me, yes, first and foremost. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, your love for other people directly comes from your love for God. And, and they would have understood what Jesus meant when he said neighbor. Because neighbor, the word means anyone that is close to me. Now, that doesn't mean close necessarily in, in relationship. That means close in proximity. Anybody that you come across in your life. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago about your oikos, your circle of influence. 
Uh, last week, Kyle talked about it, about the difference that you make in the place where you're at, whether it's at work or whether it's at home, wherever you're at. God is wanting you to be a minister of Christ in that capacity, wherever it is. God's desire is, is that we love, and they would have understood this, neighbor really is referring to everyone. And the Old Testament would, val- would validate that. As they would read and understand the Old Testament, the Old Testament would tell them how to love their family, how to love their friends, how to love even foe, an enemy, how to love someone who is a foreigner among them. And and God would, would demonstrate to them and tell them over and over again, the love that they have for other people is a direct demonstration of the love that they have for Almighty God. And as you love other people, you're really loving God. And the beauty of that is, is Jesus even talks about that. When you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. As you and I love one another, we actually are demonstrating love back toward God. These two things, love God, love people, they're a hand and a glove. They go together. They're two wings of the same plane. And without them, we're not going to accomplish the mission. Because John even writes later on, if you say you love God, but you hate on people, you are a liar, and the truth of God is not in you. You you cannot say, I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus, how about you? And then on this side, condemn people for the way that they're living, or for something that they do to you, or whatever. You cannot hate on people. No matter what they've done to you. If anybody had a reason to hate people, it'd be Jesus. But he doesn't hate. He loves and he continues to demonstrate love toward every single one of us, even to those that reject him over and over and over again. Love God, love people. The second is like it. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Mark records and strength. So, so what, is, what is Jesus saying as he says, love your neighbor as yourself? The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, what I believe he's saying is you are to strive to love others with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As yourself. What is he talking about? He's talking about loving people, loving people with your whole being. Everything about you. He's not talking about self-love here. He's not talking about somehow thinking more highly of yourself than, than you ought to. That, that's not what he's talking about. If you think about what Jesus is referring to, he's referring to just how much we do to take care of ourselves. To love ourselves in the sense of feeding ourselves. We go to sleep. We, we, we make sure that we get enough rest. We, we, maybe we exercise or we should. I, I don't know, whatever. But, but all these things that we do to try to, to make sure that we're good Pour that much energy, he's saying, not just into yourself, but into other people around you. I mean, he even would go on to say, greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for another. And what did Jesus do? 
Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus willingly went all the way for you and I. Are you glad that he did? If he hadn't, we would not be here. If he hadn't, we would not have any hope. If he hadn't, we would not have eternal life. But Jesus Christ gave his life so that you and I can have life. So that you and I can have eternal life. So that you and I can have hope. So that you and I can have peace. So that you and I can have joy. So that you and I can have all of our needs met. God did that. Why? Because he loves us. I love what Ephesians and, and Paul writes this, and he gives us a glimpse into this whole thing of loving your neighbor as yourself, as a picture of a husband loving his wife. Here, here's what he says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, sacrifice is there, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Again, what are we talking about? We're talking about pouring ourselves out for somebody else. Loving on and caring for others around us. So, so, so here's the question. How are you doing with that? Are you loving people with everything you've got. Before, before you answer that, I want you to turn to a, a passage. It's in Luke, Luke chapter 10. Because I, I don't know if you guys like plot twists or not, but in movies or, or in TV shows, you're watching it, and, a, and then there's a plot twist, and it just blows you away. You're like, whoa, no way did I see that coming. This is going to happen, I believe, in Luke chapter 10 as Jesus further addresses this whole thing of loving your neighbor as yourself. Again, a teacher in the law stands before him, verse 25, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So this man knew the right answer. He knew that loving God and loving people is something that the law would have taught them. He was an expert in the law. In other words, he knew the law, frontwards, backwards, every word of it, they would have memorized every word of the law. The first five books of the Bible Every single letter, every single word, they would have memorized it. To the point that if you said a passage or just a part of a verse, they could give you all the verses before it and all the verses after it. That's how well they knew it. And yet, Jesus, knowing this man's heart, is helping him to identify that, you know what, while you know all this, you're not living this out. How do I know that? Check out the next verses. Verse 29. But he, this is that man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
saying in his estimation, he was doing exactly what he just said that he was supposed to do. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because he's wanting to justify the way he's living. And Jesus throws in a massive plot twist here. Watch this. Verse 30. Jesus replies, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This next verse, would have, this next thing just would have blown these people away, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw the man, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. It's about two weeks worth of wages, by the way. And he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Check out what Jesus does. Remember the question? Who is my neighbor? Check out what Jesus does, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to him, you're so worried about who is your neighbor, you don't realize you are supposed to be a neighbor to everyone. And the two guys in the story, the priest and the Levite, like you, know the law, know what they're supposed to do, and yet they saw the man and they walked along the other side, avoiding the man altogether. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. For him to suggest a Samaritan would have been the least, I mean the most, like the person who would be the least obvious person ever to do what was about to happen. Jesus says, this man, a Samaritan, who by the way the Jews thought were less than animals, they thought they were just dogs, they thought they, were just, they weren't even real human beings, they would not even address them as individuals. They hated them. And Jesus uses the very one that they said would never stoop to that, would never do this, would never be willing to reach out. He uses the Samaritan as the one who does exactly what Jesus would do throughout his life. He sees the man, he has compassion on him, he goes over to him, and he does everything he possibly can to take care of this man. And he says to the man, which of these was the most likely to be a neighbor? And what's interesting is the guy can't even say the Samaritan. He can't even answer and say the Samaritan was the one. Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. He wouldn't even stoop down and say the Samaritan showed him mercy. That's what, 
there's so much here in the aspect of this man's, the fact that he doesn't even realize what he's saying. He's asking Jesus to say to him, who's my neighbor? He's trying to justify that he loves his friend. He loves his family. The problem is, is that Jesus knows that these guys who know the law, they would teach love your family, hate your foe. They would teach love your friend, but hate the foreigner. That's why Jesus would say some stuff like, you have heard it taught, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. They, they would teach that. That's why, like as Kyle was talking about last week, when they, when they got in the boat and they were heading across the Sea of Galilee and they were going to the land of the Gerasenes, which is the land of the Gentiles, and the disciples were like, what is going on? Why are we going over there? That is why, because they have been taught their entire life, love your family, hate your foe. Love your friend, hate the foreigner. And Jesus is saying, that is completely contrary to the law that you yourself had just quoted. Because the law of Moses, the law of God, would tell them exactly how to love their family, how to love their friend, how to love their foe, how to love the foreigner. And so he's saying to him, you're missing it. You're, you're, you are missing the point. You, my friend, need to love everyone. Friend, family, foe, foreigner, everyone. And do everything you can to demonstrate love toward them. That's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus would do. I, I, I challenge you, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and find how many times you see where Jesus sits down and has a meal or has a conversation with Pharisees. It'll blow your mind. He does this over and over again. Those that were his quote-unquote enemy. Look at how many times Jesus has an interaction or a, a sit-down with someone who was a sinner. And you remember the Pharisees? They came up and Jesus is at Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax collector. You want to talk about people who were hated? Tax collectors were hated. Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house with all of Matthew's friends, and the Pharisees come up and say to the disciples, how is it that Jesus is, is having dinner with all these sinners? They would, they would mockingly call him a friend of sinners. And yet that's exactly what Jesus was. He would have... He, he would have interaction with these people. And what was amazing to me is every single time when you look at Jesus over and over and over again, I love this in the story, the Samaritan drew close to this man. You, you cannot tell the needs of people from a distance. You have to draw near. Jesus would draw near to people and he would find out their need he would have conversation with them, and yes, eventually he would share with them the truth of who he was. But here's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus was a master of building relationships with people. And, and here's, 
This is not in the Bible, this quote, but it's one that I use all the time. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus lived that out. Everywhere he went, he would live that out. And I, and I would say even this, even with the Pharisees, even with those that he would get up in their face and say something to them in front of other people, it wasn't because he had not earned the right to be heard. It was not because he had not loved on them. He did. He loved on them. He built relationships with the Pharisees, and he had the right to say what he said to them. And so Jesus would, would do this over and over and over again. Why, why would anybody listen to you if you're not willing to show them how much you care? Why would anybody want to hear what you have to say if you're not willing to love on them in their life? Now, that doesn't mean that by loving on them that you somehow skip or avoid the truth. That's not it. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus would do that. But he had earned the right to be heard. He built what I call this relational equity with people. Now, again, he's Jesus. He's God of the universe. He's the one that created everybody. So, yeah, he can pretty much instantly build a relationship with somebody. But the thing that I find interesting about Jesus is, even though he did all those things, people still rejected. They still crucified him. So what does that mean for us? Well, here's the deal. What does God call you to do? Does God call you to be accepted by everybody? Or does God call you to love everyone, regardless of what they do? The Bible makes it clear. Paul writes it. If at all possible, as far be it as you, live at peace with everyone. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say if they live at peace with you. It doesn't say if they treat you kindly in, re in return. Just love them anyway. Jesus demonstrates that all the time. I know he does in my life. There's so many times where I say no to him, reject him, and he still loves me. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. No matter how many times you reject him, he'll still love you. The beauty, the beauty of that is, is that you and I, we're not called to transform a single heart. You know why? Because you're not God. I, I know when I, when I really mess this up is when I try to play the Holy Spirit in people's lives. I'm a really terrible Holy Spirit. I am. I'm not a good God. I'm not a good Holy Spirit. I'm actually very bad. And so what I come to realize is, you know what, I can't play that part. That's not my role. That's not, God's role is to transform, heart, transform hearts. My role is to love people. My, my role is to share with them the truth. Let God do the changing. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you that in raising our five kids, that all five of them are going to always choose to follow Jesus. I wish I could say I could be responsible for that, but I'm not. I can't make them love Jesus. I can't make them choose to follow Jesus. All I can do is myself choose to follow Jesus and hopefully lead by example. But ultimately, they got to choose. And that's not on me. 
I can't transform their heart. I can't transform their mind. All I can do is love and share with them the truth. My friend, you have friends around you. You have coworkers. You have family. You have people all around you. What they don't need is someone in their face condemning them at every turn. What they need is somebody putting an arm around them, hugging on them, loving on them, establishing a right to be heard, and ultimately having an opportunity to share truth. And you know what? Even if you never get to, you can play a part by loving on them because guess what? There will be other people that can come along and share truth with them, and God will use all that to work together for his good and his glory. And you just get to play a part. And so, again, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is that God is speaking to you about today, but I know earlier you said, God, speak to my heart. Maybe he's saying to you, this person is somebody you need to love. Now, please, don't go out of here and be like, okay, so loving everybody means i got to like everything they do. Um, that is not what I'm saying. Have y'all had a parent ever say to you, I love you, but right now, I don't like you? Anybody? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, some of y'all, thanks for your honesty. Um, Do you have to like everything that everybody does? No. Do you think Jesus liked being beaten by the Romans? Do you think he he liked having his beard plucked out of his face? Do Do you think he liked being nailed to a cross? No. Did he still love them? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are going to be things that people do, and I'm sure that have done things to you that are despicable, that are wrong, that are pure out just evil. No way is the Bible saying you got to like that and just take it. But what the Bible does say is you need to love them. That's tough. Actually, it's downright impossible apart from Christ, in my opinion. So, are you willing to love others with everything that you've got? So as you would, close your eyes, bow your head. Please don't walk out of here either thinking that you have got to go to every single person and be their example of Jesus. Listen, um, that's not possible. If you try to do that, you are going to burn yourself out. Jesus even modeled that. There were times when Jesus would walk away from the crowd and go and spend time with his father and, and rest. You, you cannot possibly influence everyone but what you can do is you can do for one what you wish you could do for everyone go love people so God is speaking to your heart Christian I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come and and, uh, Martin as well we got Christian's going to be getting baptized here in just a little bit as you guys are thinking about what is it that God's speaking to my heart, what is it that he wants me to, to put into my life and into action today?
Again, your eyes are closed, heads are bowed, just thinking about that. Maybe if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Christ, can I just tell you that's the first step? Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Let him transform your life. And as he's transforming your life, he'll give you the ability to love people. Are you willing to love others like Jesus did, like Jesus does? Again, I don't know your heart, but you do. God does. Honestly, that's all that matters. Just listen to the song, and as they start to sing, just sing as a prayer unto God. And ask yourself, am I willing to do what God is leading me to do?